Hey, good morning. I'm so glad to be here at Celebration Baptist Church. It's such a joy to be here. Uh, my name is Ben Tugwell. I'm, I'm pastor in uh, Greenville, North Carolina, home of the bitter ECU Pirates um, toward the Florida Gators, of course, um, for ruining the end of our year last year and then the beginning of this year. So I come holding a grudge, but um, the Lord is healing me from that. I'm so glad to be here in Florida. Uh, it's a state that I am really learning to love. Um, I did not come, I didn't even visit Florida until my early 20s. And uh, really what I began to love about Florida is, A, uh, I have to love Florida because I married a Floridian, all right? Uh, my wife was born in Gainesville, Florida, so she was born a gator. And um, I have tried to work through that uh, because in the early 2000s, uh, there was a really wonderful basketball team known as the North Carolina Tar Heels that you guys beat in the early 2000s. So again, I'm, I'm, just, I'm just holding some grudges here this morning that God's just working through. But um, marrying my wife was wonderful and still is um, now 11 years. And so that's one thing I love about Florida. My wife's from Florida. She takes me down here all the time. And second... Uh, I love this church. Uh, I love your pastor. I've known uh, Pastor Mike now for about 12 or 13 years. And uh, I love a couple things about your church that I'll tell you. Um, I love how missions-minded this church is. Uh, I don't know if you know this or not, but this church supported our church integrity as we were just getting started. And so we are uh, indebted to you, and we love you, gratefully, uh, grateful for all the things that you've done uh, for our church. And second, um, you guys love the Word of God. Amen? And so I feel very confident coming to you this morning and opening the Word of God, knowing that it will not fall on deaf ears, but eager ears to hear uh, God's Word. So we're going to be in the book of Psalm. Uh, the Psalms are uh, really ancient uh, hymns to tell us about the character of God. And so we're going to cover a bunch of different ones as we uh, do, like, I guess we have three sermons through the series. And uh, I'm going to pray. Um, before I pray, we'll be in Psalm chapter 1 verses 1 through 6, and we'll have the words up on the screen so you can follow along. I'm going to pray before uh, we dive into what God has for us this morning. Father, I am so humbled and grateful to be here uh, in front of this amazing uh, group of people. And Lord, you are not finished with what you started at Integrity Church, and you're not finished with what you've started here at Celebration. And Lord, I just see as I see this crowd of people, as I was here last year, I, I see new faces, and it's just evident that you are at work. Um, you are about your people, and you are making disciples here at Celebration. And so I just pray that what we walk through together in your word would help encourage and uh, mature and grow this body of believers so that they can continue to make disciples who make disciples who make much of you. In Jesus' good name, amen. Psalm chapter 1 is where we'll be this morning. Uh, we'll be verses 1 um, through 6. Um, I did not grow up in church uh, until I was, to my pre-teenage years. And uh, the reason why, I did not like going and sitting in a service. Um, for me, my, my parents, we would go uh, on Easter Sunday, and that was basically it. Um, and Easter Sunday for me meant, okay, the Easter Bunny is going to visit me, and I can't eat all the candy. We've got to go to church. That's how it was for me. And this is the 80s, so I had in the 80s a long, like, nasty rat tail hanging off the back of my head. 
And the way that, okay, if you wanted to go to church, my dad would just cut that thing right off and tuck your shirt tail in. We're going to cut the rat tail. It's like the annual rat tail cutting ceremony um, for Easter Sunday and put on the clip-on tie, the Looney Tunes clip-on tie, and be quiet. And then he would tell me, boy, before we go in there, you better sit still. And that meant I had to be quiet or he was going to reach around and just act like he's loving my arm and then thump me on the back of the head because that's what would happen when I would sit in church and I wouldn't sit still. Now, as much as I, that pained me to sit there and be still, it is still something that I greatly struggle with even now as a 36-year-old man with two boys. I struggle greatly sitting still. Uh, you can ask any of my pastors and the elders or uh, deacons or leaders at our church um, about me going to a conference. Um, they've had to sit through conferences with me, and some of those conferences are like three hours long. I can't do three hours long. I'm going to do 45-minute slot, and that is it. I'm going to walk around, find a bookstore, go grab something to drink. Just, just I, I can't sit Still, and my wife, I married someone who is a very laid-back person who puts up with all my ADHD, ABCDFG, whatever problem that I have to sit still. Uh, I married someone who's very laid-back, and so we would be driving down the driving down the freeway, and she's sitting next to me, and you know, I, I like to talk. I like to have you know um, very cerebral conversations, and and so I'm sitting there going, okay, um, what's going on? You want you want to talk? No. Oh, okay. Um, so well, you're quiet. So what, what are you thinking about? Nothing. I'm like, how do you think about nothing? Like, I don't even understand that. You're, you're talking to someone who thinks about things all the time. A hundred things are going on. A lot, a lot, I mean, so it's like, okay, the Mario theme song and a funny joke that I heard the other day and what's the score of the game and a theological idea and a sermon illustration and you know, I, I'm just going, and then bird, like I'm, you know, I'm very distracted easily. And I, I sit there with my wife and she says nothing. I'm like, what color is nothing? Like, you've got to give me something here to know that you are thinking about something. And so for me to, to slow down, it's really, really, really difficult. My, my, my pastors at our church, I'm blessed to have wonderful men around me that serve alongside me. And they're always telling me, Ben, slow down, be still. And for me to even slow down at, at night, I have to go home and uh, I have Netflix. And so I have to watch The Office before I go to sleep. It's like a routine. I've watched The Office every episode, I'm not joking, at least six times all the way through. And I consider myself an office scholar. So if you're ever in a, triv like a trivia situation where you need somebody to finish quotes, I can quote it. You can, you can come to me after and you can quote something that Michael Scott said. I can tell you what episode and what season. It's ridiculous. And, um, and, and so that is what it is for me to slow down. I've got to do something that slows me down. And so what happened in my life recently is ministry caught up to me, and it challenged me to a point where, okay, I'm driving down the road. I'm always angry. I'm always frustrated. I'm always, I'm always on edge. Why is that? And my pastors and my elders came alongside of me and said, Ben, you need to slow down. You need to be still. You need to 
sit and reflect on the character of God. And so for me, um, this series is, is dear to our heart. Um, as we go through the book of Psalms, we did this series at our church. Our creative team, by the way, came up with all these things for you, um, and they did that for our series. They, they're ridiculous, and uh, we even have the study guide for you, so if you want to take this as you leave, it will, it's a six-week thing you can go through uh, to teach you um, to be still. And as I was even uh, working through this in my own heart um, this past year, I, I've noticed that others struggle to be still. Uh, it may not be the, the way that I struggle to be still, but it's just a way of slowing down and reflecting on the character of God. Interestingly enough, this, is, this idea we even see throughout the whole book of Psalms. In fact, one of the most memorable ones is the very one that says, Psalm 46, verse 10, Be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted on the earth. So we have commandments from Scripture mandates from Scripture for us all, wherever you are and whatever walk of life you're in, to slow down and to be still and to, I'm going to use this word, meditate on God. Now, I know that some of you men in here, we're, we're Southern men, and we hear the word meditate, and we're like, what in the world? Meditate? I ain't going to sit around and meditate. He's going to get me. Okay, this is what he's asking me to do. Sit in an Indian-style position and get out aromatherapy and light some incense candles and have Yanni in the background. That's what you think of when I say meditate. Um, but listen, that's, that's not what I'm saying at all. All I'm saying is the Psalms are going to continue to press in on us to slow down the craziness of our life and reflect on how good we are. And if we can do that, I promise you that the times in my life where the Lord has grown me is when I've made the discipline to slow down my life and meditate on who he is, or God slowed down my life so that I would meditate on who he is. So he's going to win no matter what, all right? He's going to make you slow down no matter what. So I, I hope that we can do that on our own as the Spirit of God works in our life and causes us to reflect on the character of God. So we're going to be in Psalm chapter 1 this morning. I'm going to read verses 1 through 2 to get us started. It says this, um, the Word of God says, the psalmist David says this, Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers, but his, what's the word? Delight. His delight. What is his delight? It says, the law of the Lord. And what does he do with the law of the Lord? It says this, on his law, he, there's the word, meditates day and night. So here we have David, the psalmist, telling us to meditate on the law of the Lord. Now I'm going to tell you why he uses the phrase law of the Lord, because we have to understand the context who is David writing to? He's writing to um, Israel five, six hundred years before Christ came. And, he's, and we see uh, throughout the Psalms, all these Psalms are basically ancient poems to tell us who God is and how people have responded to who he is because they love him. Just out of a heart of love for him, this is how we're going to respond to him and it's going to show who he is, different aspects of who he is. So this, in this time, five, six hundred years before Christ, all they knew of their relationship with God was done through the law. 
And the law says, if you do this for God, then God does this for you. So it has kind of a works-based element. So if I do these things for God, then God does this for me. So that's the understanding that were in people's minds when they they would have read this psalm, Psalm chapter 1 from David. They would understand, okay, uh, a, a, a person who delights in God's word, they are going to grow and mature, and a person who doesn't, they're going to fade away. And so here we have to put on our gospel lenses this morning to understand this for us in 2015, meaning uh, Jesus Christ has now come, and he's lived a perfect sinless life, and he died on the cross in our place, and he rose from the grave, and he conquered the penalty of Satan's sin and death, and if we repent and believe in the gospel, we'll be saved, and we be given new hearts and a new life. And so we don't have this relationship with God of, um, if I do this for him, then God owes me, because he's given you everything in Christ. And so with that understanding, we have to now go into the Psalms and now find, okay, with the gospel lens on, what does this mean? Well, I believe there's a timeless principle here that helps us even appreciate the gospel even more. And so let's read it again. Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of the sinners, nor sits to see the scoffers, but his delight is the law of the Lord. And on his law, he meditates day and night. So David here is a believer, and he's saying, this is what a person who loves God looks like. That's the, that's the timeless principle. What does a person who loves God looks like? He says, a believer, he, they don't take counsel from the ungodly. That's one thing. A, a believer doesn't mock the truth of God, and a believer delights in God's word. That's, that's what a believer does. So in order for us to even begin, what does it mean to meditate on God? We really got to be believers, right? We've got to have our hearts transformed by the gospel. And so for a believer, a believer is someone who has, they believe that God's word is the chief authority in our life because he is the chief authority in our life. And so the the psalmist gives us insight on whether or not we actually believe that God is the chief authority in our life because we believe that God is the chief authority in our life. We're going to meditate on God's word. That's what we're going to do. That's what believers do. We're going to desire and we're going to hunger for God to speak to us. And we believe that God speaks to us primarily through his word. And so here is the challenge. If you want to know what it is that you value or you treasure, all of us need to take time to evaluate what we actually think about during the day. Meaning, what occupies your thoughts? And what occupies your thoughts is actually what you treasure. That's challenging, is it not? Okay, I'm the only one. Okay, that's challenging for me. Good. There's a couple of honest people over here. All right, I'll focus my attention here. Good. Um, Now, here's the challenge. Like this summer, um, my wife being a Floridian, she loves to go to the beach on our vacations. I'm a mountain man, right? Bearded, redhead dude. You know, I'm a mountain man. But my wife's like, let's go to the beach. So we go to the beach, all right? 11 years marriage. Take some notes, men. All right. Um, now, I don't know. I mean, there's a few gingers here. Praise the Lord. Um, 
we don't do well at the beach, okay? Like, I don't get a tan, my freckles hold hands. That's what happens, and I get burned badly. And so I don't like the beach, okay? I don't like the sand. I don't like any of that. And so what happens is when we go to the beach, um, man, the Lord's blessed us with this house that we get to stay in. A member of our church owns it, and they let us stay there, and it's, it's great. And here's the thing they have. They got cable, okay? And um, for the Tugwell house, we're a Netflix, Hulu family, okay? Cheap, right? And that's what we are. Um, and when we get cable, like, okay, I don't want to be outside very long anyway, so we, we get to be brought into the house, and we get to sit, and we get to watch cable television, right? In color. You know, it's like, um, and so here, we're sitting there, and we're watching Food Network, all the different, baby, we can make that. Oh, I can grill that. You know, I'll start doing that. And then we get into the HGTV, and HGTV will ruin your life, all right? I mean, you get these shows, and you watch these people, House Hunters International. Like, who are these people? Like, okay, I've got a $1.5 million budget, and they're like 22 years old. Like, who did you rob to get that kind of job to pay for that house? And, and they drive you crazy. Like, I mean, they'll, they'll go, and they're so high maintenance. They'll walk in, and they've got this beautiful, like, house in the mountains of Scotland, and they look out, and you can see this un- 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 unbelievable scene. And what do they say? They're like, well, I don't know if I like it or not. The, uh, the, ca- the carpet is red. I'm like, change the carpet, <laughs> right? It's, it's not a, a no-brainer. You got a $1.5 million, but look, pay me to change the I'll fly me to Scotland. I'll change it for you for free. Like, it just, it just irritates you. And so, but what happens then is you start to get into these um, house flipping shows, and that's where it ruins your life. And we, we have a house that was built in 1955. We have an old ranch-style home, and we begin to see these house flippers that come in, and we're like, oh, I can, we can do that, honey. That was only $30,000. I can do Look, he, he did it himself. I can do it myself, right? YouTube videos, and I'll, I'll, I'll have this thing going. You know, we can extend the attic. We can add on another bathroom, double the value. He did, they doubled the value of their house. And then and what happens, I'll start to think about that, and I begin to what? Meditate on that. And that becomes a driving force of things that I talk, think about while I'm at the beach burning severely out, you know, outside. <laughs> and so I'm starting to think, well, I can do that. Yeah, I built a shed in my backyard, and yeah, I'm pretty sure I can extend the attic. And, you know, it's only $30,000, right? I mean, I could get another job, right? I mean, a pastor at 70 hours a week. I mean, I could add to that. And, you know, oh, let's see, Finn's eight years old. He can start working. He's probably able to, you know, get a good, decent job and make 40K a year. That, that could work. And so I begin to think in my head, and then we're talking about it. What can we add on? What can we do? We can, we can do a backsplash. And we just think, and everything is about us, right? That, that's what happens because I'm motivated. I'm thinking about it. I'm meditating on that idea, and it's all about Ben and Jess. And so the gospel is nowhere in that. I'm not going, let's see, the word of God says, um, I'm not my own, I'm bought with a price, and that price was Jesus, and everything that I have belongs to him, and it belongs to him for his glory and his namesake, and I'm not thinking about my money and the things that I have for his glory, I'm thinking about my money and the things that I've been given for me. And what me- that's why what we meditate on it can eventually own us. And you can apply that to any part of your life. If you're constantly meditating on your fear or your lust or your success, that will eventually own you. It will become your idol. And what you do with your idol is you feed it 
unless you counter it with God's word. And this is what the psalmist is after. He says, who walks in the counsel, who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of the, of the seat of scoffers, but his delight, his delight is the law of the Lord. He meditates on it day and night. This person is constantly being refined and maturing in the word of God. And I want to tell you, here's my biggest fear. Uh, my biggest fear is becoming the crazy man on the island. Like, like here's what I mean by that. I'm, I'm lost in my own thoughts, and there's nowhere where God's word could speak into my life, or there's no counsel from other believers who speak into my life. And here's one of the saddest things now about being in ministry over 15 years, is I've seen, when I've seen people get entrenched by their sin, is when they stop taking godly counsel. And they become the crazy man on the island, or the crazy woman on the island. And this is typically the starting point, because what they do is they remove the accountability from their life, and what happens is they become lost in their own imagination. imagination. So the crazy person on the island is they only listen to themselves and no one else, especially those who are calling them to grow in the gospel. And so this is what the psalmist is after. Hey, don't be the crazy person on the island. Um, meditate on God's word. Let it saturate your life. Meditate it on it day and night. And then what the psalmist David is going to do is he's going to compare the person who does that well and versus the person who does not do that. Verses 3 and 4. He says this. He is like a tree planted by the streams of water that yields its fruit in its season, and it, its leaf does not wither. And all that he does, he, what? Prospers. The wicked are not so, but, they, but are, are like chaff that the wind drives away. Now, something else you need to understand about the Psalms. The Psalms, because it's written as a genre of poetry, it gives us a lot of pictures, okay? And I don't know if you are a visual person. I'm a visual person. I like pictures. But for some of us, we don't like pictures. We like to be told what to do. The Psalms are not going to tell you what to do. I don't know if you've ever read Ikea instructions. Ikea can be the devil to trying to put something together. It's a Switzerland furniture company, and, and you try to put them together, and there's no words. It's all pictures. And um, when I put together Ikea furniture for my wife, she says, boys, go in the other room. Daddy's about to lose it because it's pictures, and it's, it's not words that tell you what to do. And so for those of you who like to be told what to do, the Psalms are going to be challenging because here's the Psalms. It's going to say, you're like a tree or you're like chaff. And so it doesn't say you are a tree. It says you're like a tree. Now, something else that we see here, uh, we have to remember that this was written, again, five, six hundred years before Christ. And so when it talks about um, the way of the righteous and all that the person does, they prosper. And then it says that the wicked, all that they do, they, they will be driven away. Now, that is not the world we live in, correct? And we look around us and we see 
unbelie- we see believers in Christ suffering for the gospel all around the world. And so it doesn't look like they're prospering in the way that we think of financial prosperity and all these things. And we see wicked people who are doing whatever they want, and they continue to prosper. And so, okay, how do we understand this? Well, again, we got to put our gospel lenses on. So how is it that we prosper? Well, we prosper because of what Jesus has done for us on the cross. We prosper in him. And what it means to prosper in him is to be, he says, like a tree. Now, what does it mean that we are like a tree if we meditate on the word of God and it becomes the chief authority in our life and we delight in it? What does that mean that we are like a tree? Well, interestingly enough, in the Old Testament, this is a uh, this, this idea, this imagery that we have of a tree is often described someone who is stable. Like the prophet Jeremiah says this in Jeremiah 17, verses 7 through 8. He says, Blessed is the man who trusts in the Lord, whose trust is in the Lord. He is like a tree planted by the water that sends out its root by the stream. So what is... Jeremiah the prophet, and what does David the psalmist both display? That the tree that is planted near the living water is constantly nurtured in it. And the psalmist says, he does not wither. In all seasons, it is stable. It is secure. Now what's interesting, what you see often in the New Testament church Everything that you see about the writers of the New Testament, they focus so strongly on maturing in Christ. Like you think the church of Ephesus, for instance, the one that Paul planted that was later pastored by Timothy, uh, this church blew up. It exploded with growth. And it says in the book of Acts, it's so much that all of Asia Minor, every man, woman, and child had the chance to hear the gospel. Think about that. Think about the impact that church would have had. And and, and so here you see this church that explodes with growth. But Paul, he's not so much encouraged by how many people are coming. He's, He's mostly concerned with, are they maturing? And so he doesn't see the health of the church as how many people are coming. He sees the health of the church as how many people are maturing and then being sent out. I mean, you think about it in this way in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 12. Paul tells the uh, church at Ephesus this. He says, hey, equip the saints for the work of the ministry, for the building up of the body of Christ, until we have all attained the unity of the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God. When is that going to happen, right? He says, to mature manhood, to the measure and the stature of the fullness of Christ, so that we may not, no longer be children. See, he's after maturity Children, he says, are tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes. And then you see the writer James, James chapter 1. He talks about a person who is tossed to and fro by every wind. What is happening here that Paul and James are both concerned with? People are not maturing. They're not living underneath the authority of Scripture. They're not meditating on the Word of God day and night. It does not saturate their lives. And James says, this person is unstable in all of their ways, and they should not expect anything from the Lord. So how is it that we're stable like a tree? We meditate on the Word of God. 
But what happens if we're not? He says, we're like chaff. Um, we are blown away, and we will not be sustained in the end. And so here, like, I, I don't know if we get this analogy um, of being blown, tossed to and fro, but I really think in order for you to get this analogy, you have to be seasick at least once. Because if there's a time in my life where I've wanted Jesus to come back, <laughs> it's when I was seasick, all right? I've been seasick twice, and it's horrendous. Um, the first time was on a kayak. Um, <laughs> the second time was a few months ago with my son, and my son, Finn, he's a little outdoorsman. He looks like a little hipster, but he likes being outside and doing stuff outside with his dad. And so we, I said, okay, Finn, what do you want to do? I want to go fishing. I want to learn how to fish. I'm like, okay, we're going to figure this out. And so I uh, get this opportunity. We get a 20-foot-long Carolina skiff. We go out 10, 15 miles off the shore. And um, I forgot that I get pretty motion sickness, right? And, okay, he's my son, so I don't know how he is yet, but I'm starting to realize he could get motion sickness too because here's the thing. We get put on the front of the boat as we're flying out, and we're, I mean, the waves are choppy, so the boat's like, and I'm looking over, this is awesome, and, you know, the first five minutes, and then a few minutes later, I look over and like, this is, yeah, we're moving in slow motion. And I look over and I say, buddy, you having a good time? He goes, yeah. And I'm like, this is not going to go well. And so we get there and we stop and we anchor in and we're, we're trying to catch some big old red drum. And man, this thing is it's moving like this and moving every way possible and every way sideways. And I look over and man, we're both, we look like we're drunk, right? I said, Finn, are you going to be okay? He goes, dad, I don't feel so good. I'm like, buddy, I don't either. <laughs> he says, what does this mean? I said, I think it means that we're both going to throw up at some point. <laughs> and so then father-son bonding right over the edge, both of us over the edge of the boat. And, um, and here's what happened. It was crazy. The, the, the line that he cast out actually did it. Something got it. And then he jumped up. And it was like this Holy Spirit supernatural thing where he jumped up, put his little harness on. He helped, you know, we helped, everybody helped. I didn't help him do it. I was laying down. Um, and the, the guys helped pull it in. It was a 38-inch red drum. And uh, he's, he's holding it with a bunch of his, you know, with the guys that helped him. And he does this smiley thing. And I look over. I'm like, good job, buddy. And we both like, he's like, right over the edge again. And it was like, this is terrible. And so what happened, you know, when we're, when we're on this, on this um, boat, I'm sitting there, and I am completely ineffective everyone's casting out, everyone's having a good time, except for Finn and I, we are laying there, and I literally want Jesus to return, or be thrown over and eaten by a shark. I'm fine with either of those two options at that point. And it, it lasted three hours of complete, I mean, you couldn't even converse with me. You asked me my name, I don't know if I would tell you exactly what it was. And here's the thing, like, I was unstable in all of my ways. And the reason why the psalmist folks is so much attention on, listen, if you don't have grounding in the word of God and you don't meditate on it 
uh, in a, on a consistent basis. When you suffer and when you hit hardships, you will be unstable in all of your ways. You will be blown. You will be tossed to and fro by every wind of doctrine. And so he says, this is the believer. A believer's mature. A believer is stable. The unbeliever, the one who does not build their confidence in Christ, he says that person will be blown away. And so how do we, as believers in Jesus Christ, focus on the Word of God in such a turbulent world? How do we suffer and still find confidence in Christ? Let's read it again. Psalm 1, 1 through 2. Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits the seat of scoffers, but his delights the law of the Lord. And he meditates on, on, on his law. He meditates day and night. Now, what does that mean? Okay, if this is true, if this is what's going to keep us grounded and stable and mature, where we'll grow, even through suffering, we'll rely on him, even through the hardest times, we're going to trust him. How is it that we meditate on the word? Does that mean we got to, okay, we got to have a memory verse every day and we got to put, you know, our Bible. It's got to have all these little, we got to do walk, walk through the Bible in a year. I, I don't want us to, I know that our, our, our tendency, because we like this idea of uh, tell me what to do and I'll do it mentality is, okay, here's, here, you need to write, read through the Bible year, you'll be fine, right? Or um, have a scripture memory verse that you remember every day. Now, those things are good and we should do those things, but that's not all of what it means to meditate on God's word. Um, I'll be honest with you. I, I pastor a wonderful church, and it's, I love our people. Well. I love our people, and our people are great, and I'm thankful to God for our people. But when I get up often, I'll say, folks, when we leave here today, don't forget the gospel, right? Because we're a gospel-centered church. That's what we're supposed to say. Remind yourself of the gospel. I'll say that over and over again. And so, or leave here and meditate on the Word of God. So we, they become kind of just phrases that we're used to hearing. But what do they mean? And I don't think we've done a good job as a church even unpacking what it means to meditate or remember the gospel or keeping the gospel at the forefront of our mind. I think they just become junk drawer phrases that we use. So what does it mean? Let me give you a couple of analogies. Because that obviously, we want the imagery of the cross in our minds we want the, the idea that Jesus Christ died in our place, but let's talk about the benefits of what Jesus has done for us. Let's talk about the benefits of the cross that Christ died in our place. I remember not long ago, a few months back, I had a young man come to my office, and he had a tremendous amount of suffering in his life. His dad uh, faced a, a, really a lifetime of illnesses and eventually passed away earlier this year. And here he is in my office, a young professional, just trying to make a name for himself and build a career. And he said, Ben, I've just been, the last year and a half, I've been super down. And uh, I'm just trying to figure out if God loves me. He goes, until just this week. He said, I prayed hard. God, would you remind me that you love me? Would you remind me that you're good? And he says, and I woke up that morning, and the Lord gave me 
all these memories of the first time I came to this church. And when I met you and when you pointed me to this small group and I got in this small group community and through that small group community I met this man, his man this man's name is Kirk Birch at our church, he's 70 years old he discipled like 15 guys in our church and he took this young man in and he started discipling him and building into him he goes, and I'm remembering that and then I'm remembering how I grew in the word this way and then I was challenged in, in, in my character in this way and I've grown and he says in the last three years God has proven that he's loved me more than any other time in my life because the last three years, I really believe, believe that's when I became a believer. And I'm just thankful. And what is, what is it that he's learning to do? Well, God has always loved him. It's not that God just started loving him. He's actually saw that God loved him. Why? Because he meditated on what God has done. He meditated on what the cross has done in his life by bringing in the counsel of the wise and other believers and the word of God has saturated him. And now as he looks back, he goes, that's what God has done. I got another guy in our church. His name is Matt Stump. Matt um, has been in our church for about five years. Matt had a severe drug and alcohol addiction for a few months before coming to our church. The first time he came, um, he told me this story. A few months before he came, he got so high, he thought he was God for 24 hours. He literally thought he was God. That's how high he was. And as we talked through the gospel, and as I saw him grow, I saw him get paired up with another guy, and a guy that started discipling and pouring into him. And now, five years later, Matt calls me and wants to meet with me and have lunch. He said, the Lord's doing something in my life. And I sit down with Matt, and he says, Ben, and this, this guy is super analytical, um, very sharp guy. He says, Ben, I've been reading about unreached people groups and pioneer missionary work, and I've read about 10 books on pioneer missionary work, and I, all I want to do is I want to just go and serve, uh, f- serve the unreached people groups and share the gospel with them and make a, a name of Christ in the unreached places. And that's my desire, and I say, Matt, I'm super excited for you, but before we even get into that conversation, I want you to stop for a minute, and I want you to think about the first time you and I met and where you were, and the first time you got into that small group and where you were, and I want you to think about, remember the conversation that you had with me in the hallway? Remember the conversation you had with Patrick, the guy who discipled you, um, on that, that three-hour conversation you guys had about the gospel and about how uh, all, all the, new, the Old and New Testament were together, and like, we're going through everything that he's went through, and then what happens? He and I are both crying. And we're just like two babies sitting there weeping together. Why? What did we just do? All we did was just meditate on God. We meditated on the goodness of God. We stopped and we said, our delight is God. And that's what it means. When we say, hey, meditate on God. Yes, apply scripture in your life. Make it a part of your life. But don't forget the benefits of the cross of Christ, all that he's done in your life. Remember all that Jesus has done. And this is remembering how scripture has come to life in you. And so this morning, we have the question of how do we do that in a turbulent world? And so before I leave, I just want to read one place in scripture to encourage you. In 2 Peter, Peter's talking to a church that's suffering greatly for the cause of Christ, for the sake of the gospel. And this is what he says in 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 5. 
He says, make every effort to supplement your faith with virtue, virtue with knowledge, knowledge with self-control, self-control with steadfastness, steadfastness with godliness, godliness with brotherly affection, brotherly affection with love. He says, for if these qualities are yours are, are increasing, they are keeping you from being ineffective and unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. Whoever lacks these qualities is so nearsighted that he is blinded, uh, having forgotten that he was cleansed from his former sins. See, see what he's saying? Don't forget that you were cleansed from your former sins. And then he goes on, this verse, verse uh, 10. Therefore, brothers and sisters, be all the more diligent to confirm your calling and election if you practice these qualities, you will never fail. What does Timothy or, or, or um, Peter say into this church who is suffering greatly for the gospel? He says, don't forget that Jesus Christ has saved you from your sins, and don't forget your calling and election. And so this morning, is this, this is simple. When did you realize that you were called? to repent and believe the gospel. When do you remember the time that Jesus Christ reached out his hand and he saved you in spite of yourself and opened your eyes to the gospel and that you then became a person who was changed and transformed by the gospel? When was the last time this morning, Celebration Baptist Church, that you actually mapped that out in your life? Because it changes everything when you do that. You're constantly reminding yourself of the gospel of what Christ has done for you. And your delight is in God and his word because you've seen the word of God prove itself in your life. And so this morning, I don't know where each of you are. Maybe you've come here and you are discouraged. Maybe you are like my friend Justin who came in my office a few months ago and you don't realize, maybe you, you don't think God loves you, but maybe you need a reminder this morning that God loves you because he's given you everything in Christ. Maybe you are occupied in your thoughts and you're constantly taking um, counsel from the unwise and the ungodly instead of building your life on the foundation of God's word. Perhaps this morning you're not a believer and you need to repent of your sins and believe in the gospel. But maybe if you are a believer, you're just struggling. You're just struggling to realize that God loves you. And let me remind you of the gospel this morning, that in Christ, he owes you nothing because he's given you everything in him. And perhaps this challenge for you this morning is to leave here and your delight would be and his word. And maybe you've come here and you just feel invincible. Maybe you come here and you just, you're on top of the world. Maybe you're just full of pride. And God needs to humble you and bring you to a point where you stop and you slow down and that you would be still and that you would know that he is God. Let us pray. Gracious God.